Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. This episode of Locked on Hornets is presented by SeatGeek, the easiest way to buy and sell tickets online. Download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code LOHORNETS, that's LOHORNETS, to get $20 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. It's time to talk some hoops and stuff. You are Locked on, Locked on, Locked on Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome in, Hornets fans, on this Thursday. That's right, it's almost Friday. This is Locked on Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by my good friend, David Walker. David, welcome in. Good friend, huh? You say good friend. Okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. well, let's get through this episode. That's because we've got some, <laughs> you've you've kind of already heard this interview we have. There's There were some yeah. words said. Oh, yeah. They're a little oh, yeah. host oh, yeah. and co-host rivalries going on between our show and the locked on heat podcast as well that's coming up we've also got Adi joseph from sporting news he's the deputy editor at sporting news and uh, he talked to coach clifford uh, got a couple of questions in coach clifford have having some interesting things to say here before training camp begins we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network podcast on your favorite teams delivered week daily. If you're a Panthers fan, you want to get ready for Sunday, make sure to head over to iTunes after the show and subscribe to the new Locked On Panthers podcast with host Steve Reed. Also, we're putting the live back in Hive Talk Live Tuesdays and Thursdays beginning this fall, beginning in October, really, on YouTube and Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for updates about when that's going down. If you have a question, a comment, or you want to sponsor the show, make sure to email us at buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. All right, we're going to get right into it. We've got Adi Joseph from sportingnews.com, and he, again, spoke to Coach Clifford. Coach Clifford meeting with the media for the first time before training camp. Had some interesting things to say. Let's send it on over to Adi. Joined in the studio by Adi Joseph from Sporting News. Adi, welcome. Welcome to the new digs. I think you are the official, we'll remember this, you are the official first person to uh, guest here in the studio, in the new studio. I can't think of a better person to have. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Doug. Always modest. Adi Joseph. Adi, uh, you had a chance to uh, talk to Steve Clifford and Clifford had a chance to talk to the media. What did you hear? Yeah, um, he had his annual media luncheon and, um, you know, he it's it's more or less it's a very informal setting. Um, Not a whole ton of very aggressive questions asked, but it was more so a chance for us to hear small updates and get his sense of what he's expecting this season. And, you know, as as I think made some headlines, he's expecting fewer points. I don't really agree with that. I don't know why that would be the case, but he thinks that this is a more defense-oriented roster um, with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist back. I don't think MKG necessarily means a slower pace, personally. I I think, if anything, having more ball handling out there when when they've got the starting lineup, um, 
you know, Ramon Sessions, his his strength is going to be the same offensive strength as Jeremy Lin, which is getting the ball into the paint. So Clifford made pretty clear he views this as more of a defensive team. I think it's just a very similar team. I, I wonder if maybe part of his concern with the offense is just the question marks around shooting, especially on the bench, because even though Marco Bellinelli, a guy who uh, has been known as a three-point shooter, he struggled last season uh, with Sacramento. So maybe that's where where his concern lies. Yeah, and I think you know they're they they're going to need more out of Frank Kaminsky, um, especially on three point shooting. You know he he came in with a reputation as being a pretty good three point shooter, didn't really adjust to the NBA range. Um, they're going to continue to need Marvin Williams to play the way he did last season, but overall, I think when they made their roster adjustments, they did it with a. If we're going to lose these three guys, we're going to replace them with three fairly similar players, players who will not affect the way we played. So really, the biggest change in this roster, without a doubt, is the re-addition of Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Well, it's not the last we'll hear from uh, Coach Clifford this month. Media Day coming up, so we'll we'll check in with you then. Thanks, Adi. Yep. Thank you. Adi Joseph there, Doug, from The Sporting, is a good friend of the show. Always good to get back with him. What did you think about that, Doug? I mean, Clifford is looking to score, or not looking to score for your points, but maybe just looking at what the knowns are, right, and and what he lost. And to your point, not so sure about some of that bench shooting. Yeah, you have to understand, he hasn't really seen this team all together. So all of these uh, uh, things that, that he's saying right now are speculative just based on what he's looking at on paper. And I think he... He definitely uh, see, uh, saw the value in Jeremy Lin and what Jeremy Lin gave the team last season offensively, and he sees that gone. He sees Courtney Lee gone, and he sees Al Jefferson, who Clifford was always high on in terms of his offensive output. He sees him gone. So, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of an undersell on on Clifford's part. I think the team uh, could could very well be okay on on offense or or, you know, just as good as they were last season, I should say. Uh, but there are a lot of question marks heading into the season. Yeah, and Frank Kaminsky is probably one of the larger ones, as Adi mentioned there. Somebody they're definitely going to be looking to kind of regain that form that he had from the college three-point line. But yeah, you mentioned Al Jefferson. I didn't even think about him. I mean, that was such a big scoring presence inside. And where is that inside scoring going to come from? I mean, Hibbert's not really going to give you that. So Again, you're going to be looking to, I mean, Cody Zeller, right? Uh, maybe Frank, if he gets in there a little bit, Cody and Marvin inside, I guess. I mean, other guys, of course, too. But Al was such a big piece of that and such a focal point for them that he's got to be thinking that. I mean, he, he's just got to be a bit of an undersell uh, to your point, I think. But um, defense has always been the calling card, right? So that's nothing new. Yeah, it's nothing new that he would have the focus on defense. Steve Clifford, a, a defense-oriented coach, there is no question about that okay got to take a second to tell you about our friends at seat geek they make buying and selling tickets online easy by searching multiple ticket sites to make sure that you're getting the best price for the best ticket here's how easy it is david we've got the game coming up panthers uh, playing at home against the san francisco 49ers i'm a hop skip and a jump away from bank america bank of america stadium and i'm instituting the same plan that i had last season which is i'm buying the tickets on the way there and, and I just pop my app open, 
Uh, I, I buy the best deal I can find, or find the best deal I can find on Panthers tickets. And by the time I'm I'm at the uh, at Bank of America Stadium, I, I have the tickets in my hand. I'm ready to go inside and cheer on the Carolina Panthers. So it's it's a it's a great app that SeatGeek has. Makes it really easy. I was listening to. Uh, another podcast talking about SeatGeek, and and they mentioned that it takes two taps to get your tickets. And I thought, really, two two taps? I'm going to test this out, and and it's true. I tested it, and it's true. Two taps, you got your tickets. You're ready to go inside the arena, the stadium, wherever you're going. And here's the best part, David: our hardcore Hornets fans get a twenty dollar rebate off their first purchase to get your twenty dollar rebate on tickets. Download the SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code LO Hornets. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LO Hornets today. Okay, time to continue a series we've been doing all week, not only on this show, but on the entire Locked On Podcast Network. We gave it a funny name. It's I think I think the network is referring to it as the the crossover week. And which is nice. You got the yeah, you got the crossover. But we're we're rebels, and we're probably making the the people upstairs a little peeved. But we're calling it OPB because we're down with OPB. We're down with other people's basketball. That's just how we roll. I'm looking forward to. uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, what is it like? Bring back the '90s night at at Time Warner Cable Arena. They've got a bunch of '90s acts. I may go to this thing. You are truly the bad boy of the Lock On Podcast <laughs> Network. I wear my hat on backwards, folks. <laughs> um, no, so we, we're calling it OPB, Other People's Basketball, and we've got uh, the Miami Heat podcast here, the Locked On Heat podcast. I talked to Wes Goldberg from Locked On Heat. Here it is. Joined now by Wes Goldberg, one half of the Locked On Heat podcast. Wes, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my co-host David Ramil couldn't make it tonight, but we're happy to participate. Well, my co-host David Walker couldn't make it either, so it's something, it's something. about David co-hosts. I, I always say you can't trust somebody named David. <laughs> well, let's talk about, let's start with Chris Bosh here for this Heat preview, because probably the biggest X factor for the Miami Heat and the biggest question mark heading into this season uh, other than Chris Bosh himself, obviously, who would his return to the court help most? That's a really good question. Um, the thing about Chris Bosh is he helps everybody out so much because if you look at the Heat without Chris Bosh, who starts in his place? I mean, maybe Josh McRoberts, but he's got his own health issues. Justice Winslow could slide down to the four and then play that in some small ball units, but I don't think Eric Spolster wants to rely on that. So with that in mind, I think having Chris Bosch back helps Justice Winslow a lot because it helps him maintain his positionality at small forward. Um, but he also helps Goran Dragic for another veteran presence, somebody that makes sense as a natural pick-and-pop threat, which the Heat didn't get to completely explore. I mean, the Heat acquired Goran Dragic a season and a half ago at the trade deadline, and immediately at, at that point, that same day, it was announced that Chris Bosch was going to be out for the rest of the season. So that whole first half of the season he spent in Miami, he didn't play with Bosch. He played a half a year with Bosch last season, but Dwayne Wade handled the ball so much that they didn't really get to dive into that pick-and-pop option. So Goran Dragic obviously helps. And then Hassan Whiteside, of course, just having that veteran frontcourt pro- uh, partner, somebody to split up uh, defensive duties against the big opposing big men. So. 
I know that's a roundabout answer of saying basically everybody, but Chris Bosh is really just that important. No, I totally agree with you. Do you think, because he is so important, do you think the Heat can make the playoffs? Do they have a chance at making the playoffs without a Chris Bosh return? I, it's really, unless somebody takes like a dramatic leap, I mean, unless Justice Winslow just becomes all like literally all-star level and Goran Dragic goes back to all-NBA type level, I mean, barring a, 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 a huge leap, you know, a, a most improved player award type leap, I don't see that happening now. If Chris Bosch does return and returns to form and Miami suddenly turns into a one-piece-away Eastern Conference contender, do you see uh, General Manager Pat Riley trying to pull some trade magic and bringing in one more piece to make a run? The thing about Riley is he always has his eye on the trade market. I mean, we saw the Heat were kind of in playoff contention and then they pulled the trigger for Goran Dragic and they traded two future first-round picks and an assortment of other role players, but basically two future first-rounders for Goran Dragic. He's willing to make that deal. You look at maybe, you know, Russell Westbrook, DeMarcus Cousins, Blake Griffin, guys that might could possibly be on the move. I mean, if the Thunder just tank this year, who's to say that they wouldn't try trading Russell Westbrook? Um, that said, I don't know how active the trade market is going to be, especially with another offseason coming up with another spike salary cap. These guys might be, you know, players might not be demanding trades. Players might be just like, okay, I'm going to ride this thing out, not promise anything to anybody and see what I can get on the free market. Um, I do think Riley will have his ear to the ground. And, and if there are, are rumblings of maybe getting a B level type player, maybe not the all-star that I might want, but maybe another Dragic type trade to kind of bolster this roster. I could see it, but they really don't have, don't have that many assets. I mean, that would require a Justice Winslow or a Josh Richardson included into a deal if they were going to make a big trade. And I just don't know who's available right now. I mean, maybe some, maybe there's just somebody that we're not talking about. Well, I mean, last season they, and, they acquired Joe Johnson and it looked like Joe, smoking Joe was yeah. done and he slims down when he gets to Miami and plays a big role down the stretch for the Heat. So they always, you know, we we kind of joke around the the Locked On Hornets podcast that Miami they just they just know how to strike gold. It's just it's 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 frustrating, I think, for some other fan bases. Well, I think that's that's the well, it certainly is. You know, we we're at Locked On Heat, and just as Heat fans ourselves, we definitely get the ire of uh, of other fans around the NBA. But that's the kind of move I'm talking about. I mean, I think a lot of Heat fans right now they keep throwing out names like Westbrook and Blake Griffin and these guys, but. If the Heat are going to make a move, it's probably going to be a Joe Johnson, like a mid-level, you know, just a, a boosted role player type deal. That's Let's move on to on. Dwayne Wade. Always tough for a franchise to lose a franchise player, and uh, even though you know Wade was was certainly on the decline in t- in terms of his production, he had a bounce back year. Was able to stay on the court, play a lot more games than he had in the previous few years, and of course in that playoff series against the Hornets, played a a dramatic and significant role hitting big shot after big shot for the Miami Heat. Uh, so many times, you know, late game situations, it came down to Dwayne Wade scoring, playmaking, uh, depending on what the situation called for. Do you think that Goran Dragic can assume either one of those duties at the level that Miami will need him to assume them in order to win big games? He's going to have to. Um, I think when you when you look at Goran Dragic, 
what what he was so good at in Phoenix and what ultimately led the Heat to trading um, two draft picks for him was his ability to not only get to the rim but finish around the rim. I mean, he was the most efficient guard in the league that year that he went, you know, that he was selected to the All NBA team um, at finishing around the rim. And I think when you look at Dwayne Wade and what he's made a name for himself is is really you know dominating the paint area as a guard. And if Goran, Dra- Goran Dragic has shown the ability to be able to do that. So I think that inside out game um, is something that Dragic can certainly duplicate. I mean, maybe it's, you know, Dwayne Wade these last few years, he really relied on a back to the basket type game, but he was in the post. He was getting paints in the paint or, or points in the paint or near the paint at least. Uh, and Dragic is going to have to do that. The thing that Dragic is going to have to figure out is how to get on the same page with his teammates. I mean, he's he's a point guard, but he's not really he's not he's not Rondo, he's not Ricky Rubio, he's not one of these guys that really made a name for himself by just his facilitating. He can do it and he's good at it, but he's just not one of he's not a standout at it. And you know, if you look at somebody like Hassan Whiteside, who the Heat just paid almost a hundred million dollars to a ninety-eight million dollar deal. And getting him involved, Dwayne Wade was like the white side whisperer. I always call Dwayne Wade the white, the white side whisperer because of everybody else on the team, he always had a way of getting on the same page with white side, getting him the ball near the rim on alley-oops or, or just for dunks or on the run. And Gordon Dragic and white side did not have that chemistry for most of that season. They started to come along towards the end of last regular season and a little bit into the playoffs before uh, white side got it hurt. But that was pretty new even into the postseason Dragic is going to have to get on the same page with Whiteside. that's probably number one and then number two is just be able to dictate the pace and play faster than what Dwayne Wade was was playing was facilitating and was setting the pace as last season let's talk about Josh Richardson we there's some injury news surrounding him what's the latest on on his injury is it serious it doesn't sound serious, no, uh, and that's the good thing. I mean, the prognosis that we're hearing is six to eight weeks. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit longer, only because of the timing of it. I just don't see the need to rush him back. It's not like six to eight weeks we're in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Six to eight weeks from right now, or from last Friday, technically when he hurt is when he partially tore the MCL uh, in his right knee. Um, six to eight weeks is you know one or two weeks into the season into the regular season. So I think we might be looking maybe a month into the regular season just because, again, I don't see the reason why the Heat would rush him back onto the court. He's a young player. I think he can handle it. And if the, if it were the playoffs or towards the end of the year, I could see them doing that. But it's not. You know, it's the beginning of the year. No reason to risk anything there. Um, I think the main thing that you're looking at is he's not available for training camp and he's not available for preseason. That's going to be really tough for the Heat as they try to move into this kind of new era, so to speak. Um, post Dwayne Wade. So when he is able to get back into the rotation, what do you see his role being at the beginning of the season? What do you hope his role is at the end of the season? Well, when he returns, I think the starting job is going to be his to claim. Uh, there's been a lot of questions about who's going to be starting at shooting guard now that Wade's guy. I mean, it's the first time in 13 years that the shooting guard position is open for the Miami heat. Um, and Josh Richardson as a steal in last year's draft played really, really well uh, as the backup shooting guard played a little bit of three 
played even a little bit of point guard too. He played point guard at Tennessee and he played a little bit of that for Miami last season. Um, but I think when he returns and when he eventually gets back on the court, he's going to be the starting two guards. Uh, and I, what I like about him over maybe a Dion waiters or a Tyler Johnson is his versatility, his ability to defend positions one through three, play those positions. I think if you have Richardson as your starting shooting guard, you can, as you know, Eric Spolstra from there can kind of tweak his lineups and move Josh Richardson down to the three, bring in Dion waiters off the bench Justice Winslow goes down to the four, and maybe you have a Bosch and White or Whiteside playing the center spot, and now you have this really interesting small ball unit. I like Richardson's versatility and the way that Spolster can use him as far as stretching his lineups out um, as a starting shooting guard. You mentioned Hassan Whiteside. He's my guy, pride of Gastonia, <laughs> holler, my hometown. Um, but but he, he re-signs with the Heat, gets big money. What happens to Hassan Whiteside if if Chris Bosh doesn't return and the Heat can't pick up those winning ways, what do you think happens to Hassan Whiteside? How do you think he handles losing? So I've said this um, a few times on the Locked On Heat podcast. A lot of people are wondering whether or not Whiteside can quote unquote handle the big money. You know, he's um, volatile. He's he's been volatile in the past. And my argument against that always is: when have we ever heard? that Whiteside, or even seen any evidence that Whiteside is motivated by money whatsoever, other than the very fact that he tried to get into the NBA and then signed a big contract. Uh, That was the first time, like, other than just signing the contract, was the first time I've ever heard he was even interested in money. What do you think he's motivated by? We've heard 2K ratings, and that's a joke, (laughs) but it's true, dude. It's true. Well, it's respect, right? Because we often, we we hear guys, oh, I want money. And and sometimes it is literally about the Benjamins, but sometimes it's about respect. He's after that respect, which is exactly where I was going to. And and, and the 2K rating is a real thing for him. This is a guy that regularly Snapchats himself playing NBA 2K. He has to stare at what was like a 43 rating or whatever it was when he got into the league. You know, when he was first entered into 2K because before he was in Lebanon and he wasn't even in the game, right? This is a guy that was playing it, was not in the game, got in the game, was a very low rating. like, And he's playing this very often and he's got to stare at his low rating. Of course he's motivated by that. And even more so, like, he was in the season for a year and a half. Or he was, he was in the league, I'm sorry, for a year and a half and finished third in Defensive Player of the Year voting behind Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And... He was mad that he didn't get first. I mean, he wants respect not from his, not only from like game makers, but his peers. Like that's what he's after. You know, that's why he's going for the flex, and that's why he's going. He likes to show off. He likes. He loves the crowd loving him. That's what he's all about. And he's not one to turn down ninety eight million dollars. I wouldn't, but I don't think that money is really going to play that big. Um, a role in in his attitude. I think if I think if anything, you still deal with the same immaturity issues. His uh, the hot head of that he has. You don't want him elbowing guys in the face or or you know getting technical fouls or something because now you have so much invested in this guy that you need him on the court to get that return on investment. I think that's really the as far as money that might be the only issue. But again, this is a guy that has shown from from last year or from two years ago to last year. Major improvement in that regard. After he elbowed uh, Bobin from the Spurs, right the game right before uh, the All Star break, well, he he elbowed Bobin, got suspended for a game, um, 
when they returned from the All-Star break. And then after that, had no issues, basically. And the Heat were saying, you can't do this anymore. And he didn't do that anymore. So I think that says a lot to Whiteside. He's not mature, but it's just... He doesn't need to be Tim Duncan, dude. Like, you just don't be an idiot. That's all we need him to do. <laughs> this is a question from David. Uh, David, and you mentioned that Wade was the white side whisperer last season in terms of their on-court relationship. Who's going to be the guy to talk down Hassan Whiteside when he, and again, this question is from David, when he overheats? Oh, God. <laughs> Co-host, am I right? Can't can't live with him. Can't live, can't live without him. Um, uh, Udonis Haslam. I think it's got to be UD. Uh, He's in the Miami Hall of Fame. I just saw right before we came came on. Yeah, that's a thing that exists, and Udonis Haslam is in it. And um, <laughs> that dude is scary as hell. Like if Whiteside starts acting out, UD is just going to go up to him and just he probably doesn't have to say anything. He just has to look at him and chew it on his mouth card a little bit. I like that. Whiteside's going to be like, all right, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Um, it's going to be Haslam. I mean, without even just in general, the Heat's locker room, I think, is an interesting spot because it looks like Bosch is going to play. So, of course, he's the veteran guy. And Bosch is going to have a role in that as well when when Whiteside gets a little out of control. Um, but um, in general, UD is the Heat lifer. That's the term that keeps getting thrown around in, in you know, with Heat fans and and um He's the guy. And with Wade gone, he is like definitely the guy. Like he is the Miami Heat. The now. elder statesman. I think I like his I, I liken his role to what Kevin Garnett is doing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Ah. It's a little bit more high profile, but because it's Kevin Garnett and because the Timberwolves are so exciting with their young players, UD's gonna have a similar role with like the the White Sides and, and Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, those guys. Anyone who talks about the Hornets still can't get away from the name uh, Justice or Justice Winslow. We all, we often uh, w- there's really no debate. It's only one way to pronounce his name, but I I keep saying Justice. Uh, but Justice Winslow can't get away from this guy because of the first of all the Duke connection, but the connection uh, in that draft, the Hornets passing up on Justice and going with Frank Kaminsky instead. Let's talk about it just from my Miami Heat perspective. He, he proved last season that he can be everything people thought he could be on defense, but he also showed off the, the weaknesses in his offensive games game that everyone thought he would have. What's he doing to improve his game on the offensive end of the floor? Well, he's been working with a shooting coach this summer, and uh, the reports are that it's encouraging. His, his, his development and his shooting stroke has been encouraging. I don't know what encouraging means. I don't know if it's like, okay, he's like an amazing three-point shooter now, or if it's like, okay, he doesn't, he's not as bad as he was last year. I don't know what encouraging is extremely vague, but um, that's, it is encouraging that he's working with a shooting coach. He's reached, he's trying to remake his uh, shooting stroke, which I didn't realize was so broken, but I guess, I don't know if it was broken or inconsistent, but that's not my job. That's the shooting coach's job to figure out. And He's been working on that. I think the other thing, though, and that's the high-profile thing. His, I mean, he shot just 26% from three-point range, like 42% or something from the field, just bad averages from a perimeter player uh, his rookie season. But I think the other thing that Winslow needs to work on and has been working on is his ball handling and facilitating. With Wade gone, a lot of people are looking at Goran Dragic, as we talked about earlier, to really start facilitating the offense. But it's going to be other dudes, too, 
stepping up. I mean, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, and Justice Winslow, they're all going to have their hand on the ball and and running running sets through them at some point this year. And I think Winslow, and I, I'm sure a lot of um, your listeners who may or may not be Duke fans, but at least had an opportunity to watch him, saw that he was very good handling the ball in college. He got off of that a little bit his rookie season just because Wade and Dragic basically shared the rock for most of the season as, as far as bringing the ball up. Um, I think you're going to see more of that from Winslow. And that's a way to help the Heat uh, help Winslow as far as the spacing is concerned because team opponents towards the end of last year were sagging off of Winslow when he was placed in the corner. If he's got the ball and he's, he's going to run a, a set or a play or something like that, you can't sag off him because he's got set, he, you know he he's got the ball. You can't just ignore him, and he's got such a quick first step. I think he can really um, take some people by surprise off the dribble and get to the rim. So I think with those two things, with his shooting stroke improving, and with the Heat giving him more freedom to operate with the ball in his hands, I think you're going to see an improved season from Justice Winslow offensively. Do you think the Heat play more up tempo? They they went to that at the end of last season, and it seems to be uh, more in the wheelhouse of Goran Dragic. With Wade gone now, do you think they they convert fully into an up-tempo style offense? That's the plan. That's definitely the plan. I think right now you have an opportunity to get your return on investment from Goran Dragic. You have an opportunity to put him in a situation that best suits him. The caveat against that, is that Miami is probably going to be winning games defensively. And I just think that their offense has potential to be bad. Like, I, if you look, if, especially if Chris Bosch isn't playing. If Chris Bosch isn't there, you know, Goran Dragic is really the only, like, bona fide scorer on that team. Whiteside is, has the potential to put up, you know, 18 points a game. But like I said, what if he can't get on the same page with Goran Dragic? All of a sudden, he's struggling to get points. Uh, that average could go down to 15, 16 points a game. Who knows? Winslow, you know, he's got his issues we just talked about. I don't know if Josh Josh Richardson is going to be very good, I think, for this team, but I don't know if this is the season where he starts averaging, you know, 18 points, 20 points a game. I don't know if that's going to be happening this year. It could, but what if it doesn't? And if that, all of that kind of, if worst case scenario happens in all these places on offense, the Heat could have one of the worst offenses in the league. And it doesn't really matter how fast you run or how hard you get up the court uh, You are, if you can't shoot and you can't score. So if that's the case, I could see Miami dialing it back in order to limit possessions and trying to win games, you know, 85 to 83 or whatever it might be, just really slow, grinded out games. If, that, if that's going to be their best uh, chance at winning, that they could, they could you know, try on purpose to slow the game down, which would be weird, but might be the case. All right, here's the last question. Probably the most important question I'm going to ask you, Wes, so I I really want you to buckle up, okay? So my co-host, David Walker, he once met uh, Pat Riley, and he greeted him with, quote, Hey, Pat, unquote. It's a huge point of contention on our show uh, because I think that's a totally inconsiderate inconceivable, uh, unbelievable type of greeting to give uh, the legend Pat Riley. Do you think right. that greeting was okay? And how would you greet Mr. Riley if you were to randomly see him on the street? 
Is that where he saw him on a street? He saw him at a restaurant. It doesn't matter. He could have seen him in a public library for all I care. It does matter, though, because if you saw him on, like, the beach, that's a little bit more casual (laughs) than if you saw him at, like, Prime 112. So he saw him in a restaurant? I think he saw him in a restaurant, yeah, in Charlotte. He just, like, walked by the table and he's like, hey, Pat. Hey, Pat. It's unbelievable. That's no, that's inappropriate. You don't say, "Hey, Pat." Like, what was this going to be? Like, hey, David. Like, if you said that, it would be like, <laughs> if he did, he, uh, David would have fainted. I think. I think. I think at that, if you see, so I do want to give your co-host a break here because if I saw Pat Riley, I think I would be, you know, a little bit. I think I'm, you know, I've seen Pat Riley, but like, if I were like just you know somebody that hasn't been around Pat Riley, then it would be like if I just saw him at a restaurant, I might be a little starstruck and not know what to say. But at the same time, that's inappropriate. And you shouldn't have said, hey, Pat. Thank you, Wes. See, the hosts, the hosts have to stick together and, and fight against yeah. the nonsense of the, of the David co-host. So I appreciate that, Wes. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on and, and helping us preview the Miami Heat for the 2016-17 season. And uh, David would like you to say hello to Pat for him if you, if you ever see him. So. I'll be sure to do it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Wes Goldberg there from Locked On Heat. Uh, you know, I, I do – I feel like I need to clarify a little bit my interaction with, uh, with Pat, with uh, Mr. Riley. I don't it think was you need to clarify first anything. Of all, first of all, it was on the street, which is the street in Charlotte, <laughs> which is essentially the same thing as the beach. Which I think is where Wait. Wes was going to give me the thumbs up for that. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, the street I, is not time. the same thing as the beach. The street is where it's, business it's, business is performed on the street. It was a sunny day. There's no business. The only business performed on the beach is by one of the, the icy vendors. There's no it certainly was not in a restaurant. That's the streets of Charlotte say. are where I, things happen. I also had my earbuds in. They were not wireless yet, so that was giving me a little trouble. <laughs> no uh, AirPods. You know, no AirPods. Anyway, um, some g- good thoughts around the heat from West there, Doug. Another team with just like, you know, I mean, every team has questions going in. I think the biggest one for them is obviously Chris Bosh. I mean, that is more or less a break, a make or break addition to that team this year. You made a great point off the air that we didn't get a chance to talk to Wes about, but it's been a while since the Miami Heat have had a bad offseason, right? So we have to see how they react to not getting everything they want. And I don't mean that in a kind of snarky way. It's just we've seen over the past couple of offseasons, you know, the the Miami Heat either uh, doing some uh, general management gymnastics to get players that they need or they've they've struck gold on second round picks or guys from the D League. Mm-hmm. So now they don't they've they've kind of had a little bit of a bad off season. Maybe that turns around if Chris Bosh is able to return. But we have to see yeah. how they how they react to a little bit of 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 struggle, of difficulty. Maybe they respond. But I think that there are some serious questions about how Hassan Whiteside will deal with losing. If they start to lose, that's a, that's an if yeah. we're just speculating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you guys discussed it. I would, um, I wouldn't be as concerned with him, you know, around money. And you guys spoke to that a little bit. It's, it's really just, uh, reacting to things on the court. Right. I mean, that's still gotta be a question mark. I know that, that Wes mentioned he, he was listening a little better towards the end of last year and then cooled down and you're going to have Haslam there, but, um, it's going to be interesting to see, especially if Bosch is not out there, you know, who's going to step up and who's going to be able to communicate 
with Whiteside. And the other side of that that he hit on was uh, he and Dragic. How are they going to, you know, form that bond on the court that he and Wade had last year? So um, certainly a lot of interesting questions around there. One of the reasons this division is up for grabs for the first time across the board in, in a long time. Yeah, and they have to find another player who's going to step up in the final two minutes. That was Wade. It would be the same thing if the Hornets lost Kimba Walker. I mean, Kimba Walker mm-hmm. is the the go-to guy under two minutes. Now, luckily for Charlotte, they have Nick Batum, who can easily step in and play that role as well. But for Miami, they've got to figure out, is that Goran Dragic? Is that Bosch if he's healthy? Do you throw it down to Hassan and say, go get me a basket in the in the final ticks? I don't know. We'll find uh, out. Yeah, it's interesting. And to Bosch's point, you know, he was on the uninterrupted uh, or a, a podcast on the uninterrupted network and said he's ready to play, saying he's in incredible shape, at least decent enough. So one of the two, um, he, he's getting back into form. And, and for his sake, I mean, you know, as, as fans of basketball, I think we certainly wish him a speedy and well-recovered and hope he can't come back. I mean, that's a scary issue, though. It is very scary. Well, thanks so much for listening to Locked on Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. We'll be talking much more about the Heat. The Hornets play them four times this season. We're going to hear from the Locked on Heat podcast again, too. It was very fun talking to Wes and company. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Also, we want to hear from you. We're, we're getting ready for training camp. We're getting ready for media day, which means we're going to start interacting with, with players and coaches, and we need to know what you want to know. So make sure you're sending those thoughts, your questions, your comments to buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nations at thehive.com. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up late and watch TV? Don't blame it on cat.